Hello and welcome to the Gig Hero Podcast. Today we've got someone very interesting, very amazing and a very special guest indeed. I think this is going to be a really interesting topic of conversation. Um, But for context, we've got a magician called Richard Young on the podcast. And he's done some incredible things in his career, from performing in the London's West End, touring with a show, The Champions of Magic, literally all around America, doing some massive theatres and even arenas, multiple TV appearances. And I just want to say, when I was a kid, he also ran an incredible podcast called The Magician's Podcast, which I absolutely loved. And I remember sat there, Richard, um, I think it was at the Magic Circle's junior day, um, and we used to see all the acts afterwards in the Ali Bongo show. And I think you'd done one of them. And my mum was there and I, I was only young. And I went, wow, these guys, you know, you and you and uh, Sam as well. I thought, these guys are just absolutely incredible. And I remember looking over to my mum and we were just in fits of giggles. So not only has this guy done so much, but he is an incredible performer himself that I absolutely love and adore. But please welcome to the Gig Hero podcast, Richard Young. Wow, what an introduction that was. There you go. Yeah. Made it up on the spot. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. Thanks. That's nice to hear that you saw us at Junior Day. I remember doing that. Junior Day was a big part of my childhood. I used to love it. And uh, so when they asked us to do it, because that was a long time ago now, I remember we jumped to it. And uh, yeah, it was it was a little bit sad to see that it wasn't what it was when I was a kid. You know, when I was a kid, it was like three or 400 people were there. And it was sort of held in like Reading in, a, in like a private school in like their assembly hall and everything. But um, yeah, it's something I worry about a little bit actually. That the the Young Magicians Club and kind of kids being interested in it is it all on a bit of a decline? I think it peaked massively a few years ago with like Harry Potter and everything. Yeah. Um, but you know, I definitely go. Well, if I was a kid now, would I? Would magic grab my attention? I don't know. I guess it does for some, but. Um, yeah, I, I don't. Maybe did you find when you were there, did kids kind of go through it and lose interest, or did it kind of obviously for yourself it held your attention? But yeah, I mean, I noticed people kind of drop in and out as it was going through. And for context, for anyone listening, um, talking about the Young Magicians Club, there's a club for magicians, um, kind of that held in the Magic Circle building, um, and every year is this event called Junior Day. Um, but no, there was. Um, I saw people drop out, but the numbers did kind of dwindle. And I remember uh, I was at the time when Kevin was doing a lot of the stuff. Um, I think he still is. Um, and he invited me back and it just seemed to get a little bit smaller and smaller and smaller. So hopefully it does pick up. Maybe we need J.K. Rowling to write another book. Maybe that's what we need. Something. <laughs> well, do you know what? This may be a little bit controversial, but I'll say it. Why not? You know, the yeah. Magic Circle has a lot of money. It really does. It has a a deck of tarot cards and it's safe that apparently is worth about a million quid now why the hell we need a deck of tarot cards that's worth a million quid sat in a safe that no one's looking at i've no idea and for me i go if you look at the mission statement for the magic circle it's to promote and advance the art of magic well well that begins with 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 kids and so you know i can remember doing junior day being asked to do it as a professional act and you know it's a hassle it's right in the middle of london we had to hire a van take stuff down and I think we were paid like, I don't know, 100 quid or something. And I go, for me, when you've got a tarot deck sat in the safe that's worth a million quid, effing sell it. We don't need it. Okay. And 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 let's use some of that money. And 
let's you know make it really something amazing for the kids it should not be an organization that is that is the, the young magicians club i mean that is looking at turning a profit or the numbers looking good it should be something that the club should be investing in in the same way someone who starts a business invests in it you know but it should be an ongoing investment where these kids are ultimately spoiled for choice mm. there should be professional acts down there getting paid professional money where the professionals will want to do it to want to go down and and you know entertain the kids and you know teach them magic and not where it feels like you've been asked to do a favor and that's not kevin's fault by the way that's just what it is but you know look i i think we all fantasize at times that maybe when i get a bit i'm too busy at the minute with everything but you know when i get a little bit older maybe i'll get involved in the running of the magic circle and, and for me if i did that would be the priority it would not be whether me and my mates are having fun on a monday night sat in the bar you know, having a beer, we can do that anywhere. For me, it would be all about investment in the Young Magicians Club, getting these kids in, getting these kids utterly enthralled in magic, like I was when I was a kid. And, you know, the way to do that is ultimately spend money on it and to bring in great people. I think you meet like once a month, the kids meet once a month. They should be, every month, they should be seeing someone absolutely thrilling, not some magician who just doesn't happen to have a gig who's free on Saturday afternoon will do it for 50 quid. Um, so yeah, that's controversial. I'm very aware as I say it, by the way, I don't understand intimately all the ins and outs of the magic circle and its finances, but I do know that there's a lot of cash in the bank. And not only that, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of things the club owns that aren't even on display that are sat in storage somewhere because the building's only big enough for so many things. So I go, well, if, it, if it's not on display and it's worth a lot of money, honestly, excuse my French, what the fuck do we need it for? Let's sell it and let's, you know, invest in something a bit more interesting like the future of magic by, you know, in, in, inspiring the younger generations. Yeah. There you go, that's an opinion to start with. No, it's loosely kind of connected to one of the reasons why I decided to um, start this podcast a while back and, and why we formed a company to help with court, more of the business side of, like, the entertainment industry because there were so many people out there who were actually struggling and didn't know what to do and i remember being a part of um clubs like this when i was younger and you would just be taught a few tricks and that and i i remember just being like wow i want to do this as a full-time job and i didn't know where to go and i didn't know where to take it and i didn't know how to book a gig i didn't know how to do a gig i didn't know any of the practical stuff to actually make my passion into something that i could just do and make a living off and fortunately through many trials and errors i now do this full time and it's the best decision i've ever made but there's so many people that struggle to do that and this is another reason why we set the podcast up because you kind of need that when you're younger especially when you're thinking i'd love to do this i don't want a normal job ah uh, there's no information on it so one of the things which i'd really love to kind of dig into like we've mentioned some of the incredible things you've done in your career which a lot of entertainers would love to even just have one chance of performing on a western stage would love to even have a few seconds on telly but you've done so much of it but where did you start and how did you get into doing this full time um so obviously when i was a kid i you know i wanted to be a professional magician and you know my my it's no secret my childhood hero was david copperfield and i remember seeing him when he did his UK tour. I saw him in Birmingham when I was about 11 years old. And I remember, well, my dad still tells the story that I that we drove home and I would go, oh, Dad, do you think maybe I could do that one day? You know, 
And obviously, look, I'm not David Copperfield by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, the fact is what I meant was, you think I could make my living as a magician? And um, I think there's a couple of things that I'd love to inspire some people through this podcast to really give it a go. Here's something my great friend Rob James said, tell me a professional close-up magician who tried to be a professional close-up magician who failed. Now, I don't know any. Now, you might, Ashley, and maybe you know people who did give it a go, but here's some good news for you. It's really not that competitive. It's not like you're trying to play the final at Wimbledon, the men's single final or the ladies' single final. It's, you know, it's a it's not a massive marketplace, but then it's not there's not tens of thousands of people doing it. It's not like you're trying to, you know, become the next Beyonce or something like that. There's room for everybody. I truly believe that. And so whether you want to be, you know, the easiest thing to do is to be a children's entertainer, a close-up magician or something like that. You know, there is work out there that if you're good and you're you're working it every day, the work will come and find you. Um, for me, yeah, I learned magic when I was a teenager. As I said, I went through the Young Magicians Club. I got to about 18, 19, and I sort of lost interest in it. You know, I discovered cars and girls and money and all that kind of stuff. And my first girlfriend I dated for about seven years, and I've, I've been dating her for two or three years, and I was sat with her family one night. We were playing cards, and I just did a few card tricks, and her dad, who's a massive influence in my life, went, why have you never showed us this stuff before? And I said, oh, I learned it all when I was a kid. I was really into magic. And at the time, he worked for IBM. And he said, you know, I've been to dinners where magicians come around the tables doing this, and he's like... My PA booked them. They they charge quite a lot of money. Like and you know you're as good as they are. I wasn't, but you know he was being kind. And so he got me my first gig. Actually, he had a dentist mate of his who was very wealthy. He used to have a lot of house parties, and he booked me for that. And um, it just went from there. And the thing that I found extraordinary, if you're sat watching this, going, well, how will I ever get the work? I couldn't believe it. Genuinely, if you if you're if you're good. And what I mean by good is not just good at magic. I mean, if you're a nice person, if you're not going to turn up and try and be the big showman, if you're going to turn up, stand and perform for a group of people and have the balls to say to them, so, so what do you do then? How, how do you know Martin, the host of the party? If you're prepared to have a little chat with them, take interest in them, make a personal connection with them, you will be amazed how many gigs you get. And it is not about, it is a little bit, somewhat to do with how good the magic is but it is equally about you being nice, being someone they'd like to have at their party, somewhere where they can visualize, oh, you know what, at my 40th next year, you know, I think my friends would like this guy or girl or, um, and so for me, Bob Swaddling, when I, was a teen, when I was a teenager, I was taught by a magician called Bob Swaddling. He's like an amazing, amazing human being. He came to my house every few weeks for many years. He used to sit down and teach me magic. And um, he never charged me a penny. It was an incredibly generous thing for him to do. But there's one thing I, I always remember him saying was they, they, they're not going to hire you to, like, find the five of diamonds. They're going to hire you to, like, be a nice party guest. And I remember him telling me a story. His daughter, Kay, for many years, worked as a close-up magician in the UK. She lives in Florida now. And, you know, she was at a gig one night, and she walked into the... It was a house party and she walked into the toilet. Someone threw up all over the all over the toilet and she cleaned it up. I hope she doesn't mind me saying that. I think it's a effing amazing story that she didn't have a big ego about it. And instead she saw, as her dad had taught her and her dad taught me, 
your job is to make the party a success. And no one wants to see that at a party, a toilet covered in vomit. And she cleaned it up to make sure the party was a success. And I think that is, if you, if you start to truly understand what your job is and you can park your ego and realise that it's, as David Blaine taught us 25 years ago, it's about them and not us, then you'll be a success. You will get work. You'll, you'll probably, as I have, I, I'll be honest with you, when I was younger, I was not an incredibly ambitious person, really. My achievements have far outweighed anything I thought I could do. And it's not through talent. It's just I'm, I'm as surprised as anybody. There's some amazing opportunities in magic. There really are. If you, if you love it and people can feel and sense your passion for it, you'll do well. I really, really believe that. There's some golden advice in there. And this is one of the things I've been saying for a long time. Like when people come to me and ask for help, like, how do I, how do I get more gigs? How do I get more shows? And I'm like, they don't really care about the tricks. Like, one, be nice and build rapport, exactly as you said. But like, how can we actually be valuable and actually do more at these events and actually be useful? Because it's one thing to say, haha, I've levitated this card to the top of the deck. But it's another one to actually benefit the event entirely and that's why people will come back and remember this links into a great thing that there's a wonderful wonderful chap called Keith Ferrazzi he's got a wonderful book um, called Never Eat Alone and it's all about authentic networking um, a lot of people say he's like the modern day Dale Carnegie and he says the same thing it's like about building rapport and just being nice and leading with generosity because that's how you build an authentic relationship with someone because people want to buy from friends. They don't want to buy from some tosser down the road. They want to buy from people that they actually like and respect. And I think this is one of the key things which you've hit on the head. Entertainers and all can often have a big ego, but we've got to put that aside and just be nice and be respecting. And I think that story you've told there is so perfect to just summarise that because it is just going above and beyond. And it's also, it's not just to do with being nice at gigs to people you meet at gigs. It's, it's about being nice to everybody. This business is a very, very small world and you've got to be nice and respectful to other magicians and other people and event, you know, the, the venues and, and stuff like that. It's, it's um, you know, particularly when you then start moving into the world of like stage magic. And if you want to be in a show like Champions of Magic or The Illusionists or uh, any of those kind of shows, then I guarantee you that the, the the casting of those shows is just like just like what I just described with close up jobs. It's fifty percent. What can you do on the stage? And it's fifty percent. Are you going to be a nice person to work with? Are you going to be a nice person to be around 15, 16 hours a day? You know, there I I won't name names, but there have been some incredibly talented people who I know have been considered for shows like. Champions of Magic, The Illusionist, Wonderville, all, the, all of these shows who didn't get the gig because they're just known as a bit of an arsehole or difficult or difficult to work with or they've got a big ego. Like the ego thing, I don't, I really don't understand how you can get a massive ego to magic. It's the most stupid, ridiculous thing that we all do. We've all cheated life, really. I remember Noel Britton years ago saying, you know, we all do, we all do this because it's all a bit fluffy, isn't it? I thought it was a brilliant way of looking at it. We have really escaped the the, the nonsense of life, the the commuting, the getting up in the morning, the having a boss. The you know, I'm sure we all know normal people who you know are miserable in their in their day to day existence. And magic's allowed us to escape that, but that should keep your ego in check. 
you know, you're just doing card tricks. The, the, the reason the egos get big is because you go to a gig and you do five tricks for a group of people and they've had a few beers and the only thing they can think to say to you is, you're the best magician I've seen. Why have you not been on Britain's Got Talent, you know? Um, and, you know, there was a... <laughs> There's a there was a gig I did years ago. I won't bore you with the details, but I, long set circumstance. I went to this gig and I never performed for anybody, not a single person. Just series of circumstances. I turned up at the gig. I was there, and then I wasn't able to perform for anybody, and I left. On the Monday, I got an email from the, the booker who wasn't at the gig, saying, "Oh, just to let you know, everybody loved it. Everybody's been saying how good your magic was, and you know they don't they can't forget." I, I never perform for anybody. It's the only thing people can think to say, and people are nice, as Mark Oberon once brilliantly said. People are nice. They are just going to be nice to you, particularly when they meet you for five minutes and they don't have to put up with you for long. Um, so, yeah, keeping your ego in check, I think, is the biggest thing. And, and, and ego is one of the main reasons why people won't get booked for things. And, and I mean that, you know, if you stand at a wedding fair, which I did for many years, I'd stand at wedding fairs and try and you know sell myself to brides and grooms again they want to know you're a nice down-to-earth person it's the same if it's a big show it's the same if a venue's going to recommend you it's all about keeping your ego in check and not believing what you hear at the gig particularly if you do a lot of gigs if you do a lot of gigs you'll hear it a lot and it can start to inflate your own opinion of yourself it's not true you're a magician you do card tricks for a living or <laughs> mentalism or whatever it is you know you're a scam basically i'm a scam we're all a scam you know they think you're amazing because they don't know the secret they don't know that something is buzzing in your pocket telling you what number is on the dice okay and if they did know they'd be very disappointed in you so keep your ego in check they would be very disappointed because that's half of my act <laughs> exactly. yeah. so as I mean, you've dropped a lot of information, so like this is this is gold for note taking. And D Rod's going to be listening to this now as he edits it. It's like there's an audio clip, there's a quote, there's another audio clip, there's a quote. But what I'm really interested in, and I know you said you you went full time magic in 2007. You started doing the close up. You started doing the gigs. How did you get the confidence to actually go from? Oh, I'm just just done a card trick. Wow, you're good. Let me introduce you to so-and-so, do this gig, and then obviously it trickles through and you start to just, it just builds up and you think, oh, it's working now. How did you get the confidence to actually just go, you know what, I'm going to leave a job, I'm not going to go to a job, I'm not going to apply for this job over here, this one over here, this one over here, I'm going to be solely reliant on magic and that's going to pay my bills, pay me to eat and have a roof over my head. How did you get that confidence and how did you know that was the right thing to do at that time to just go full-time magic that's that's going to be my life yeah I, I can be honest about it it's not it's not anything brilliant that i did also i'm very impressed you know i went full-time in 2007 which means you've researched me and as a fellow podcaster i like it when people do research something i always used to pride myself on and i used to freak people out sometimes when i knew stuff about them but they didn't um so here's the thing uh i've spoke to a lot of magicians over the years i keep mentioning them but they, i think this every magician's got something to offer Piff the Magic Dragon said something in an interview once. I don't think he said it to me, but he said it somewhere. That a lot of people are told you should have a backup plan in case it doesn't work. My mum and dad used to, for example. My dad was like, well, what is it? If it doesn't work, you know, what are you going to do? Well, Piff, who is arguably the most successful British magician of the last 10 years, 
He literally, in the last 10 years, has gone from being a close-up magician in England to having his own show on the strip in Las Vegas. I, I would challenge anyone who can say there's another magician, British magician who's had a better last decade than Piff. Piff once said he didn't have a backup plan, and that's why he's been so successful, is because he had to make it work. And I think that's really, really interesting. Um, for me personally, it wasn't about having the confidence to do it. I Listen, I can be honest, I'm a university dropout. I, I went to uni, I dropped out in the first year. I floated around for a few years doing different jobs. I, I felt very, very lost. And, and uh, because I didn't have any qualification, I never made a lot of money. I think the mo- biggest salary I ever had in, mo- in a day, normal day job was about 25 grand a year. And so for me, it was just a case of that, you know, I for, for a few years, I did them both together. That's how a lot of magicians do it. You know, you have a day job and then you also are doing gigs at the at the weekends. And I was occasionally phoning in sick to my day job because I'd get a gig and what have you. And eventually you just sit down and you can look at, someone told me this once, I didn't do it, but I think it was a great idea, was see if you can save the salary of your from your day job for three months and not not touch it. And if you can do that and you can live off the money you're making from magic, then you can go full time. Does that make sense? That was a really interesting, it's not what I did, but I thought it was a brilliant idea that if you can, if you can live off of the, the, the money you're earning from magic and, you know, coexist and work really hard for a few months with your day job. And, and for me, that's kind of what happened. It just became clear I was making more money every month doing a few gigs than I was working in my day job. You know, we charge ridiculous amounts of money as you know, we all do. It's, it's mental what we charge. I don't, still to this day, I've never quite understood why a juggler is 200 quid and a face painter is 200 quid and a stilt walker is 200 quid, but a magician is 600 quid. I don't know. It's brilliant. We're all very lucky, but I don't know why. Because to be honest, they're all much more talented than we are and they've worked much harder at what they do than we've done a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, we're very, very lucky. So I, that's what I'm saying. I think the jump from it being a little part-time thing to it being a full-time thing is it's not as difficult as you think. If you could, if you, like I said, if you're a nice person, you get out there for a few years, you can run them alongside a normal day job and do the gigs at the weekend. And, you know, you'll have a busy few years and it'll be hard work, but eventually you'll get to a point, you'll just be able to ditch the, ditch the day job and, and be a magician. That's what I did, but it wasn't some sort of, there's no genius to it. There's no master plan. Like I said, I was really surprised how, easily the work came to me and i know a lot of my friends who are close-up magicians and stuff were the same you know you, people it's what mark everyone said people are nice they'll remember you they'll recommend you providing you're a nice person it's not about the tricks it is about you being a nice person and if you let tell people your story you're trying to you know, I'm, i do this part-time i'm really trying to build it up and do it full-time people love the underdog they believe you're a young kid and you're trying to become a full-time magician, there are people bend over backwards to help you. It was a guy who lives in, uh, lives, we used to live two towns away from where I live. It's a great guy called Ken Norman. And he, when I very first started out, uh, he, <laughs> I used to have an advert in the Yellow Pages. That's, that's how long ago I started. It was a terrible idea, a waste of money. But I did get one inquiry from it. And it was a very important inquiry. It was this guy, Ken. And uh, Ken booked me for a charity event. And... When he met me, although I portrayed the like I'm a full time professional magician, I think Ken saw through the scam and saw that I was actually just some kid trying to make it work. 
he could not have helped me more, this guy. He was just a guy who found me in the yellow pages. I did the first gig for him. And after that, he, I remember he got me like business networking breakfasts, like where I could go in and, you know, present myself. There was a big charity event in Chipping Norton that uh, Jeremy Clarkson, who hosts Top Gear, uh, used to host. And he got me a spot in that where I was auctioned off and I got to do a trick with Jeremy Clarkson, got the photo with him and everything. And it's just some just some random guy, really, that I met who has become a great friend and who was who at the time, 10, 15 years ago, could not have done more to help me as a young kid. I think it is just being authentic. And I think we often like get scared of showing our authentic self because we're worried that people will judge us. And I remember this is, um, you've touched on so many things which I resonate with. Uh, one of our clients came to me and um, said that they were struggling and was like, oh, I, I just, just don't know what to say when I'm like messaging someone like asking to get a gig. And I'm just like, what do you mean? What? I'm so confused. And we ran through his conversation. I was like, have you just told your family that you want to be a professional magician and maybe you need help? Have you, can you not just like be a little bit more authentic and just say to these people instead of, yeah, I'm a full-time magician. I've been doing this for like 10 years in the past. Just say, I'm just starting to be a full-time magician. I'm looking to book my first gig. And the moment he'd done that, people were so much more receptive. Like, no way, that's so cool. Actually, now I think about it, this event is coming out. Wow, this event. Because people want to help people. And there's another thing that you touched on, which really hit home for me, just like jumping around day jobs. And, and there wasn't this thing of... Um, you know, the immediately, haha, this is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and, and, and be a full time magic. Uh, now, like the story you said is like, I remember when I had my job um, as an estate agent, uh, and a colleague said to me, Ashley, you've earned more money doing magic this month than working here. Why are you here? But I never wanted to quit the job. And it wasn't until just over a year later that I quit because it was the fear of, yeah, but I don't know where the next wage is coming from in the gigs and the inconsistency that sometimes entertainers can go through. I was like, well, the day job, I know that next month I'm going to get £1,700 in my bank account. And next month is £1,700 in my bank account. It's always going to be there. If I'm sick, I'm going to get the same amount over and over and over and over and over. But for me, like the moment which I decided to quit was the, the pressure of like, I knew I wanted to pursue this thing and work was just getting more down and down and down and then it led to breakdowns and I was just destroyed in a job and then that ultimately forced me to making the jump and then I realised, hang on a minute, I should have done this so many years ago because I don't need that much money to live off. None of us do. We can often get bought into like the materialistic things of buying nice cars and designer stuff but when you really strip it back, you can live on very little and when you realise that, it doesn't take that many gigs to have a nice life on and to be consistent over the long run yeah absolutely do you know what i'll, I'll tell you something and I'll, I'll give you some of the numbers as well i don't mind doing it but i definitely uh i went through a period a few years ago where i really hated doing close-up magic i just got fed up with it i just done it too much and particularly because you know i was enjoying doing the odd look stage thing we were doing and uh but i just became very jaded and you know it's a snowball down a mountain effect so it got to a point that I didn't really have to work that hard and the gigs were just coming in because for 10 years I'd been, you know, networking and, and you know, like I said, the snowball effect of getting gigs. Well, I was absolutely fed up of it. And uh, I was with my friend Ed Hilson a few weeks ago and we were sat 
having a little session working on a trip together and he said why did you hate it so much and i and i went back in my diary you know on your iphone keeps your diary for years i looked in june june 2017 i did 27 gigs 27 that's how busy i got at times you know I, I you know it was all proper money and i was absolutely miserable of course i was that repetition you know it's not like it's just 27 gigs it's 27 gigs where every gig you approach 10 20 groups of people and you get all the bullshit of people telling you to fill their glass up for the hundredth time that week and i couldn't really cope with it but also what happens is I was earning great money, but when you work really, really hard, you feel you should reward yourself really, really hard as well. And so I did all that bullshit you just mentioned, Ashley. I bought designer clothes. I got Prada, Prada trousers and Prada shoes. And so it's all bullshit, by the way. You know, I'm wearing something from Primark here now. Like I just, you do over time, you start to realize it's not what's important. And um, I think that for me, finding the balance of it is more important. And there's different ways you can do that. You can increase you can increase the amount you charge, which means naturally you'll probably get less gigs. Or you can just, which I've started to do, and 10 years ago I would never have been able to do it, where I get inquired for a gig and I will look at it and go, I don't want to do that. You know, it's too far away, or I don't want to sit in the car for three hours, or, you know, it just sounds horrible. It's a house party with 20 people. And it's a little house and it's going to be a nightmare walking around. They're all going to gather around and hardly run out of material in five minutes. You know, it's like, so, so yeah, for me, like that's, Noel Britton was on the Comedians Comedian podcast years ago. And I remember him, uh, Stuart Goldsmith asking him about what, what does he consider retirement? And he said, well, I consider retirement if you can choose the work you want to do. And he said, so if you think about that, I'm already retired. That's interesting to get to that point where the only work you're doing is work you you really want to do and you're happy doing and you're being well paid for. Because I don't think any of us will ever want to retire. I don't. I personally don't understand retirement. I always saw Paul Daniels as such an inspiration. You know, when when he died, he was 77. They had to cancel a tour. Absolutely brilliant. What a hero. He was still right to the very end. He had a tour planned. You know, and he was enjoying himself. And it wasn't work to him. It was what he loved doing. And so. Yeah, I think for me, you know, getting to that point, the way your business should evolve as you go through it, you'll go through not having any work to having more work to then having lots and lots of work to where you'll probably get a bit sick of it. <laughs> I would have, the mistake I made when I look back is, yeah, I should have should have maybe increased my prices or started becoming a little bit more picky and done less and have more free time to do the things I really wanted to do. The other thing I mentioned one of the reasons I realized I hated it. So I was just doing the same stuff all the time. And the pandemic, you know, magic became my hobby. And um, I love that. And I became friends with some people who, you know, over the pandemic that I hadn't really spent a lot of time with before. And they re-enthused my love of magic. I never, I stopped looking at a trick or a routine going, hmm, can I do this at a wedding? I just started looking at it again, like, do I like this? And that was really, for me, that changed everything. I, I've been doing close-up gigs again recently, and I've been really enjoying them. Jenny, I've had the old shit one, you know, where you go in the venue fucks you over or, or whatever, but generally speaking, I've been enjoying it. It's because I've got a lot of new material, and it's not great. Some of it's not great, I can be honest. It's not quite there, but I'm having fun with it. It makes my heart race a bit when I do it because 
I don't know how it's going to go. I've had a few gigs in the last few months where stuff's literally gone wrong. I haven't had that for years because I was doing stuff I've been doing forever. I could do my eyes closed. It's good. It's, it's freshened me up and it's made Keeps me... Keeps you on your toes. Absolutely, yeah. Keeps you on your toes and makes you want to... You're almost looking forward to getting to the gig because you go, I wonder how this is going. I'm looking forward to trying that new bit tonight. You know, Simon Lipkin's been a real big help for me. We're very lucky to have him in Magic. He's an incredible person. Um, you know, he's an amazing actor, but he's just, he's very smart in all aspects of entertainment and he loves magic and we spend time together sometimes and he just comes at it from a totally different point of view and a lot of the new, a uh, different point of view from what I come from and a lot of the stuff he shares with me, it's just like stuff I would never normally, I've got this little routine at the minute I'm doing, I don't mind telling you about it, it's like a time travel sequence, it's about three or four effects all linked together, they're all time travel themed effects. I've never done anything like that before, you know, and, and I'm having great fun with it. And I'll be honest at the minute, it's not great, but it's, it, it will be good. I've got no, it needs another hundred performances. Um, so keeping it fresh for yourself is also quite important, I think. And that was, that was a mistake I made back in 2017, 2018, when I got very, very negative about doing close-up jobs. And I, you know, really was frustrated doing them. I, it was my own fault. I needed to keep it fresh and, so I think for me now, I'll always do that. I'll always try and have something new in the case that can just makes my... I've got that at the minute. I've been playing with that. Have you seen that exploding champagne bottle? Have you seen that? I have. I saw a video. Um, David Penn put it up at a yeah, wedding. I swear I saw it. David Penn did it. And uh, I forget the guy. Is it Eric, is it Eric Chen? Uh, Hanson Chen. Uh, I think it's Hanson Chen. And uh, I bought it. And... Uh, it's one of these tricks that's absolutely terrifying to do because there's no out if it doesn't work. You get everyone to look at the champagne bottle and you're hoping that the gimmick works and that the bottle explodes. And it's an amazing But I did it at a, I did it at a gig about a month ago and it was just in a, in a village hall and uh, it was this lady's birthday party. And I thought, I'm going to do it. And at the end, I said, oh, I've got this little thing we'll do. And everyone at this party turned and looked at me and this thing. And I honestly, I, I, someone filmed it. I am more nervous in this video, I can tell, than I am when we were stood on the Hammersmith Apollo stage back in April doing Champions of Magic because I just suddenly realised I don't know this thing is definitely going to work. And if it doesn't work, what is my out? Because it's just a champagne bottle. There's nothing, nothing's going to happen. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, like I just, but it was, it's brilliant. Like it's what, what we love it for and it worked and you can see the relief on my face when it goes off and, you know, I leave happy and, ah, oh, there's something new, you know, um, but yeah, you've got to keep it fresh. As you said, Piff said, there's a snow out. You just got to hope it works. You've got to, you got to make it work. It'll, it'll work. It'll be fine. It reminded me of something. I remember I was sat having uh, the world's worst, greasiest fry up in a Premier Inn with Maddox and he said the same thing a great magician and um he said every time he performs he just slips in something new just to keep it fresh for him and uh, i think there's really one thing which you've hit on and it is the passion killer that us entertainers can face the burnout where we get to a point where we're just doing so much and we can get over sim by the money and it's like more gigs more gigs more gigs and you think you're doing 21 gigs you could be charging like anywhere between 600 to five grand for those that's a hell of a lot of cash you would have made and you can sometimes think oh yeah i'll just get this extra one i'll get this extra one and 
it's the quickest way to fall out of love with what you do. A, a friend of mine who sadly no longer does gigs, he doesn't perform anymore. I saw him with a pack of cards the other day. It made me so happy because I was like, bloody hell, I ain't seen him with one of them for ages. It was December, a while before um, a while before COVID, some December back then. He made 85 grand's worth of gigs. But he was performing like two to three times a day at events around London. And he said he got to the end of it and he just felt dead. For the entire year afterwards, he was just like, I'd never want to touch back of cards again. I'm done. And I see this time and time again. People, people either get into magic because they're like, I'd love to do something I love. Or they get into magic like me. I want to leave this horrible day job I hate and pursue something I love. But then you can often make the thing you love the day job that you resent if you're not too careful. Um, one of the things I done um, to to stop this was I just limited myself and I just said to myself I'm only doing two private bookings a month and that's it and so many people look at me like that is not a lot but for me it's enough money it's enough cash to live the lifestyle I want and it means that I'm looking forward to the next one I can spend more time chatting with the clients it's so much more fun because I'm not just rushed off my feet but one of the things I've been curious about as we go through this um You've, you've mentioned one thing. You've mentioned as you, if you're good and you're a nice person and, and people respect you. It's kind of like a snowball effect. You kind of build that momentum up as you go along in your career and gigs will start to come to you. But I really want to know what exactly was you doing to kind of like get, get the gigs in? Was there like one specific thing where you think, okay, I was advertising the yellow pages, I was doing Facebook ads, I was doing my website, blah, blah, blah. Because there's multiple different things that people do to try and get gigs. But what would you say is the most important one and, and why? I think that, the, honestly, the most important one is, of all the things you can do, the most important one is, is being ultimately the two things that we talked about being good at magic and being nice at the gig work will generate work and the best leads you'll get the best gigs you'll get will come from you meeting people at gigs because they're not going to shop around they meet you they come to you they want you and and it's amazing you can pretty much yeah with within reason you can name your price really you know and so but but i will say in order to get busy you have to do it all i think i'm sure there are magicians out there who do just purely exist on, you know, search engine optimization, or maybe they've got an amazing Instagram page or something. But for me, I can only talk from my own experience. The why, how I got as busy as I did was I, I really did try and do everything. I, you know, really networked the venues that are local to me. Ultimately, you want to work fairly locally. The particular the price of petrol as it is now, you <laughs> the local work is much more appealing than sitting in the car for two hours. And, and burning off a load of money in, in fuel. Um, but yeah, networking local venues, um, yeah, having a decent website, doing a little bit of search engine optimization. I never did Google AdWords. I think that does work for some people. Um, uh, what was the other thing? I did a, yeah, I did a few like things in the early days that I wouldn't do now, but at the time there was no reason not to do them. Like I mentioned doing like business networking breakfasts. It's a great place to meet corporate other companies and things like that uh the the one that i was the most successful for me personally and it doesn't work for everybody but it did work really well for me were, were wedding fairs when i was a close-up magician i would say more than 75 percent of my gigs were weddings and it just you do i think you just you just sort of you don't control it but you just end up going in one direction or another and, and for me i very much got directed towards weddings 
I could go to wedding for on a Sunday. I would do probably five a season. So I'd do like 10 wedding fairs a year. And it's, you know, you've got to drag your ass out of bed on a Sunday morning and go down to a venue and set up a store. Normally you've done a gig the night before and you've had a late night. But, you know, I, I would do pretty well out of those. I think, you know, again, being nice, being personable. Uh, <laughs> they really see the product, though. So if you are a bit of a socially awkward person or you're probably better off on Google AdWords with a, you know, with a nice pretty website. But if you if you do have a nice product, you're a nice person, you know, it's mainly brides and mums wandering around. So if you're that kind of, particularly for me, I think when I look back, you know, physically, I'm not intimidating. I'm a little guy. I'm not I'm not like, you know. I'm not, I'm not Darcy Oak. It's not like I'm all muscles and really attractive. I think I'm just like a cheeky chappy. And I think mums in particular used to quite warm to that. They think, oh, you know what? You know, nan and granddad will like him, but also the kids will like him as well. And and I'm sure your friends will like him. You know, I kind of felt like I fitted in well. Um, definitely if you go after the wedding market, you're not a children's entertainer, but... You are a family entertainer. You can be just doing close-up magic, but I really believe that's what people are looking for when they look for wedding entertainment. They are looking for someone who's going to connect with as many people as possible. So if you're a bit cool, if you're a bit of a showman, I think that puts people off sometimes. But, you know, I was before I really got busy doing all the stage magic stuff, I was doing well over 60 weddings a year. I was, you know, I got I got busy and it was because of, I, I believe I was, I could stand at a wedding fair. I could say hello to the bride and groom. They walk past, I go, have you, have you thought about any entertainment at all for the wedding? Usually the answer would be no, because they come to look at the wedding dresses. And I'll just show you this thing. It's, I understand you're in the early stages, but like just, it's an idea for late, when you get later in your planning process. You've just removed all commit, you know, pressure selling there you've removed anything where they're going to feel obliged to buy something from you and you know they they'll just go oh, okay yeah we'll show us what it is and what's great about a wedding fair is you can leave a wedding fair and not have any gigs from it and feel like it's been a crushing failure they might book you 18 months later it's not unusual that you'll they'll, they'll meet you make sure you give them your card obviously and but i'm telling you that's what's great about it is that you can do a wedding fair and you might get four gigs on the day and never get another gig from it. And likewise, it can go the other way. You get no gigs on the day. And over the next year, you'll get four bookings, you know, as their days and plans come together. So for me, um, I said, I can only talk from my, my point of view, particularly, look, this is a mentor's podcast. Like, that is the most powerful magic to do. You know, if you stand at a wedding fair and you do mentalism and you'll get, I, I really believe you'll get great work. But, but, don't be fucking Darren Brown, okay? Be a nice, down-to-earth person. You know, that will be my advice to you. Don't try and be Mr. Scary Mentalist, you know, or, or the big showman. I think, for me personally, I think the wedding industry and people booking wedding entertainers, they just like nice people. And you'll, you'll, you'll do well, I think. Golden. Absolutely golden. So... What does the future hold for you? Because obviously you've got some big projects on the go. And can, can you touch on some of the things which you've done after obviously going into the close-up gigs and just like why you decided to take the jump to doing like the hella big things and the tours and all of that <laughs> and the arenas? And well, then can you touch on like 
what what the future holds after this sure so yeah for me you know as i go right back to the beginning i said i saw david copperfield when i was a kid and i wanted to be david copperfield but as we all do you know fake presto always used to say it and you know the only real way to make a living in this country uh, doing magic is to be a close-up magician or a children's entertainer and i think that's changed a little bit but particularly you know when she used to say that 20 years ago she was right um so, you know, I got dragged into doing all of that. But for me, in the background, I always wanted to be on stage. And so, obviously, I met Strange and, um, you know, he loved card manipulation and stuff like that. So we booked our own little theatres. And and then we got very lucky doing Penn and Teller for us, the very first season of that in England. Um, uh, we, got, we got booked for that. And then so we just started taking it a little bit more seriously. The big thing for us was we went off and did the Edinburgh Festival for four years. Now, if you really want to, if you if you want to be in a show like Champions of Magic, Wonderville, Illusionist, any of these shows, if you want to be in one of these shows, go and do the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. That's how you do it. I, I, I've considered writing a little article about this, but if you go back 10 years to like the 2012 Edinburgh Fringe Festival, at that, at that festival, there was Young and Strange, Morgan and West, Paul Dubeck, uh, Ben Hart, Colin Cloud, I could go on and on and on. Piff was there. Uh, and all of them, now, all of them are doing what they want to be doing on stages, and that's how they're making their living. That's the way you do it. Go to Edinburgh, be shit the first year. Don't go in the first year all guns blazing, buying £1,000 posters and employing PR people. Go there the first year to be shit and get good. And we did it for four years. That's the other thing. Most of the acts that got good and, and went on to do what I just mentioned, they did it for multiple years. You get, you really do you get better every year. Ben Hart's show that he did in 2010 was not a great show. Ben Hart's show that I saw in 2019 was possibly the best Edinburgh show I've ever seen. You know, you have to keep working at it. But the Edinburgh Festival is the most amazing networking place for getting stage work. You will meet other performers again it's about being nice and being friendly and you know and that's where we met the producer of champions of magic alex and we met him there in 2011 the first year we were shit but he kept an eye on us he came back the next year the next year and then he offered us champions of magic and here i am nearly 10 years later that's how i make my living now um so that's the kind that's the route to do it i truly believe that if you if you live in england that is the way if you want to be a, if somewhere down the road, you want to make your living as a stage performer. It's a lot longer journey than being a close-up magician. It's going to take more time. But go and do the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And go and be shit. And then the next year, go back and be less shit. And then the year after that, be good. And then the year after that, be brilliant. And it will work for you. And, and that 2012 Edinburgh Fringe those names I just mentioned, I cannot make a stronger point than that. That all of those magicians, they've all gone on to make now make their living as stage magicians. So it's the blueprint. You know, you don't need any more information. That that's the way you do it. Um, and it's the mo- you'll have the best time of your life up there as well. So yeah, you ask what we want to do next, and we're we're so so lucky. Like I said, you know, Alex, the producer, Champions of Magic, booked us in 2013. The show has gone from playing doing five or six shows a year in the UK, um, playing three, 400 seat art centers to next month I'm going 
to America. I'm pretty much out there nonstop for the next seven months. We're going to 35 cities over seven months. Um, we make a really good living doing it out there now. The show has grown. And as a result of that, our salary has grown. And uh, we are so, so lucky. We've got the most amazing boss. Alex is an incredible person. He's probably the most talented and clever person I know in terms of the stuff he's able to bring together. You can't do all that stuff yourself. People think, mistakenly think Champions of Magic is mine and Strange's show sometimes. It's not. We're booked as an act. Alex is the genius behind Champions of Magic. And, um, you know, these producers are out there. There's a new show going on the road this year. There's a young producer called James Schoen. He's putting out a show called Extreme Magic. It's going to tour the UK here in October. Um, it's going to be a great show. It's got Richard Cadell in it and John Archer's in it. Um, but he's a young producer. He's just like Alex Jarrett was 10 years ago. And who knows where that show will go. He might end up like the illusionist did in five years. There might be five versions of that show all around the world. James is a very clever um, talented young producer is going to do great things. So these opportunities do exist. Um, you just need to put yourself in the frame for them. But they're, they're not. What's interesting is that if you're a performer right now and you're listening to this and you're thinking, you know, I'd love to be a stage magician one day, you have to have a bit of blind faith. If you go and do the Edinburgh Fringe Festival next year, there's probably there's probably no shows that even exist at the minute that you might end up with in a, you might end up in in a few years time. But the pitch is always evolving. There's always shows coming along. There's always things. So just start the process and, and have some faith and belief that get, you know, work hard at it, get good and opportunities will present themselves. And like I said, that 2012 Edinburgh, all of those magicians I mentioned, they're all doing different things. We're in Champs of Magic, Piffs in Vegas, Morgan and West, they're incredible. They literally tore their own show around the UK, they're constantly touring. You know, Ben Hart's just done his own tour and Colin Cloud's working in Shin Lim Show. Vegas. We all went in different directions, but we're all ultimately doing what we wanted to do, which is making our living as stage magicians. It's that, that 2012 Edinburgh is, is the, for me, I, I can't believe more people haven't clocked it. Like it, it, for, for young performers or any magicians that want to do stage magic, look at it and all of us at that time were you know some of us were better than others you know like Colin Cloud was always brilliant <laughs> like young and strange we were shit we had to get good so you know but but everybody everybody is running their own race and if you keep working at it like I said, you have to do it for multiple years you'll get there I love that I love that that is such a beautiful beautiful more structured way to kind of close out the podcast I love that Richard well as we do come to an end, I just want to say we've got an audience listening to this in about 130 countries around the world of various different people at various different stages in their own entertainment careers. Is there one final message you think that would really either summarize what you've said today or you think would just be really useful for those people to know if they are struggling in their career and want to take it to the next step? Well, that's a really interesting question. I think, I think yeah, listen, hopefully everything I've said over the last you know, little while has kind of uh, resonated, you know, it, it, just to summarize again, just be a nice person, you know, get good at your magic. Don't, don't just trust them when they tell you you're a brilliant magician, you know, mix with other magicians, let other magicians also guide you and make your routines more bulletproof. You can't really always trust them at gigs when they go, you're amazing. Cause they're not going to tell you if you're shit, but your friends will, 
you know, having a good group of magician friends, I think, is also really, really important to, you know, keeps your ego. They, your friends will keep your ego in check because often your friends will be more successful than you. Um, and, you know, just be nice, try and get good at your magic and just, yeah, just have, have faith in the, in the future with it. There's always stuff coming along. People really, really love magic now. And that was not the case. Faye Presto will tell you that is not the case 25 years ago. People did not love magic. They really love magic now. We all feel it when we do gigs. We go up to a group. They're receptive, aren't they? When I started in like 2007, 2006, it wasn't the case. You'd walk up to a group of people. It was a little bit of a frosty response. It doesn't happen anymore. That's thanks a lot to hugely to Dynamo, actually. When Dynamo got really famous, that really changed it. People really were like, oh, I really like this magic stuff. So, yeah, just have a bit of, um, have a bit of faith in the process you know, and, and trust that by working hard and keeping your ego in check, great things will come. I love that. Well, where can people find you if they want to stalk you and they want to follow you and maybe they want to check out your podcast and also maybe book a ticket to go watch one of your shows? Yeah, so Champions of Magic is uh, touring all across North America over, the, over the, the, the next six months, seven months or so. So there's a Champions of Magic website. Um, there, uh, if you obviously, I work with Strange. Our, our website is youngandstrange.co.uk, and um, yeah, all of our tour dates are on there. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Richard Young Magic. If you want to follow me, there's not a lot of interesting content on there, but if you want to, um, yeah, that's, that's where you'll find me. Also, I make the best flap cards in the world. During the pandemic, I, we, I was sat in this house for a long time doing nothing. Bob Swaddling invented something called the changing card about 30 years ago, and it's long not been available. And I always loved it when I was a kid. And Bob and I did a deal, and I now manufacture them. And they're really great for magicians. And we have a mentalist, a card for mentalists as well. It's, uh, it's hard to describe. Basically, it's a playing card that you can just throw in the air, and the content of the card will change. So it's great if you want to kind of do a, like, prediction, you know, question mark, reveal the prediction, then throw it and it will change and it will say off by one on it or something like that. So uh, you can look at those, the website's changingcards.com um, and magicians seem to really, really like them. So uh, yeah, have a look at that if you fancy it. I love that. And if you want another podcast to listen to, you can always check out The Magician's Podcast with a ton of episodes. And the last one with David Copperfield, which was an awesome listen. It's I'll get D-Rod to they're all, they're all st- Sorry, actually. Yeah, they're, they're all still online. They're also they're on YouTube, actually, for posterity. So, yeah, The Magician's Podcast. I, I, over a five-year period, I recorded 100 interviews with the best magicians in the world. And it's become a little bit of a time capsule. There's a couple of pop interviews with people who are no longer with us, like Anthony Owen, Paul Daniels. Um, and uh, yeah, the, there's you know interviews with Darren Brown and Teller and David Copperfield on there, Andy Nyman. Um, so yeah, they're 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 still fun to listen to. I know people are still listening to them. So if you never listened to them, if you missed it because it finished in 2019, uh, look it up. There's some great, there's some gold on there. They're all still there, and you'd be like me, sat in my grandparents' house with your notepad and pen, just like, there's so much information. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I get D-Raj to link all of that in the show notes below, so if any of you are interested in any of Richard's wonderful work and some of the incredible things that he has mentioned, you want to check out the show, the podcast, or Changing Cards, click the links in the description below. But Richard, I just want to say a massive, massive thank you for one, being so open, being so honest, giving some super practical information, which I know has been so valuable. I've resonated with it. I know so many other people are going to resonate with it and are going to find it so useful to help them elevate their own careers. So a massive thank you from the bottom of my heart. And thank you for coming on the Gig Hero podcast. Thanks for having me, Ashley. Appreciate it. Thank you.